Hello friends, welcome to the Deadology Podcast. I'm your host Howard Weiner. Today is August 22nd, 2023. We're going to time travel back to the summer of 1985, the Grateful Dead's 20th anniversary tour. On this, the fourth episode of the Deadology Podcast, we're going to focus on Two, we're going to get into the whole tour, but we're going to focus pretty much on two shows. June 24th, 1985, Riverbend Music Center, Cincinnati. And June 25th, Cuyahoga Falls, Blossom Music Center. We'll also take a look at the insane road trip of the summer of 85 out to the Midwest. Uh, for, for good or ill, it was the most adventurous tour of my, uh, my deadhead touring days. Before we get into the whole summer of 85, I just want to set the stage by talking a little bit about the fall tour. Um, Not the fall tour. Uh, Spring is that season that comes before summer. The spring tour of 1985, 11 shows on the East Coast, and I was at all 11. I dubbed this the Helter Skelter Tour. One night, the Grateful Dead were spectacular, and then the next night you'd be wondering why you were traveling and putting all this effort to see them when they laid an egg. Uh, the tour was like that manic. The best shows of that tour were as good as any shows I've ever seen. Uh, the three that really stand out for me are March 25th, Springfield, insane Jack Straw Sugary opener, and like every song you'd, you'd want to hear, a, a show beyond imagination. You got the April 4th, 1985 in Providence, Rhode Island at the Civic Center. Man, what a show that was. Uh, first first version of She Belongs to Me, the Dylan tune, Great Lost Sailor, St. Deal, and the, and the uh, set, Alabama Getaway, Jack Straw, our opener, first Alabama Getaway in a year. Um, I could go on and on praising that one. And then the last show in the Philly Spectrum, um, brilliant stuff, opened up like Midnight Hour, Walking the Dog, Big Boss Man, uh, great Eyes of the World later in the set, Revolution Bucket to open, just a very, they put a lot of effort into the way they uh, put the shows together, the designing set lists and the playing was off the off the hook, like just quick, you know, very intense. And then they turn around, they're, you know, the, either the show before or the show after could just be lame. So it was uh, the Helter Skelter tour. And then... The reason I bring that as an introduction, the one thing that's that uh, if I had to use one word to talk about the summer of 85 tour, consistency, every show was good. They brought it every night. You know, it, was, uh, it seemed like it was important for the uh, Grateful Dead to make an impression every night. And they definitely did on that tour. On the morning of June 20th. Um, we took off from Nanuet, New York. I jumped into my maroon Chevy Caprice Classic, 1978. A great, uh, great touring car. Durable, reliable. And um, picked up my friends, Doug, Paul, and Phil. Doug was the man. He became a taper in 1984. And he had tapes of the Greek theater shows, the first three... Uh, 20th anniversary shows out in Berkeley, California, and the entire 16-hour ride to Alpine. Uh, we were blessed to be hearing uh, th- those great tapes. And to, to just jump on the quick highlights of that, 
there were three great shows that deserve their own podcast altogether. But uh, the first night, uh, June 14th, they opened the second set with Morning Dew. Very cool version. And they did the first Comes a Time in five years. And that, and that went into Sugar Magnolia to end the set. I remember that being uh, one of the highlights. And then the last night in Berkeley, June 16th, Scarlet Fire to open the second set. Very nice. And probably the, the epic moment of that entire three-night, the first three-night run was the breakout of Cryptical Envelopments, doing it like it was 1968 again. And um, so the, in between Cryptical, they sandwiched a, a great version of the other one in there. Probably the, the best other one they've done in a long time. So very good shows, and I'm sure everybody in there was thrilled beyond belief in the Greek theater. So we're heading out to Alpine. Uh, we got we got the man with all the all the tapes with us, and we're having the best time. I learned something about this guy Phil, who I just met two months earlier. Uh, Phil was from Boston, and we were both going to school at Rockland Community College at the time. The Grateful Dead was obviously our connection. Uh, Phil was in a very hippie stage: beard, mustache, bushy hair. Guatemalan shorts, sandals, hacky sack, patchouli oil, the whole thing. So the only athletic thing I've ever seen him do in his life was kick a hacky sack. So we stop off uh, in Pennsylvania to toss a football around, me and Doug. Phil jumps in. And my God, this guy was throwing the ball like Dan Marino. It was incredible. Spirals, just zipping it in there. I was catching it and my hands were hurting from catching his passes. I couldn't believe how good his arm was. Turns out he was a pretty good uh, high school athlete. So I think the lesson is here is uh, don't ever un- underestimate the athletic prowess of a hippie in sandals. So good, good vibes all the way to Alpine among the crew, the music. But we did have a few issues in, with law enforcement, and mostly that was my fault. I got a speeding ticket in New Jersey. Got a speeding ticket in Pennsylvania. I tried to watch myself in Ohio, but I got pulled over once again. I'm not sure how I talked my way out of the ticket, but the cop just wrote me out a friendly warning. He actually wrote, <laughs> wrote out a friendly warning ticket from the state of Ohio, and I was very, very pleased to get that. Um, yeah, I have a pretty uh, crazy uh, record out there on the road, man, with uh, law enforcement. I'm probably wanted in 20 states. Uh, but um, hey, we made it to Alpine. We made it alive. We're out in Lake Geneva, resort town, 10 minutes from Alpine Valley, staying in a place we stayed the, the past two times. We're in Alpine in 1982 and 1984. We're heading into the show. I freaking get pulled over again. So I, I can't imagine what I'm doing. I'm driving. I'm, I'm in a line. I'm just moving up to the uh, to, to get into the parking lot. A cop with binoculars saw that I was drinking a, a Pabst uh, Blue Ribbon. And when the, when the other cop pulled, asked me to roll the window down, I denied it. He's like, if you don't produce that can right now, we have an officer that's already up there. We're going to go through everything in your car and all your friends, and we're going to do a whole search. <laughs> and at that point, I knew he won, so I just paid the $150 fine. Now, the problem there was I wasn't a rich man. I was 21 years old. I think I had a part-time job. I was a part-time college student, something like that. Um, but I, I didn't have a lot of money, so this put a big financial hurting on on the whole crew uh, for the rest of the tour. 150 bucks was a lot of money back then. 
but anyway, we get we get into the Alpine show. Two nights in Alpine, very good show. Uh, not a complaint in the world. Grateful Dead played well, but they weren't remarkable. Not the type of shows that you're going to go back to the tape over and over again. But we were we were happy with the two shows. We spent most of the day in Alpine Valley. Um, so we're headed to Cincinnati, but we have an off day. So we took the took the off day, relaxed in Alpine. Um, then we uh, start driving to Cincinnati. We picked up a hitchhiker, and we 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 realized the guy was a deadhead. Uh, we we took him on board. We figured, hey man, we need we need gas money. We could have, we could live with five people in the car. Just so happened, this guy was going to go back to New York. He was going to the, to both shows. Had gas money. Had very good weed. One problem: his feet smelled. So we we did make him put his boots in the trunk. But otherwise, he was he was a good addition to our crew, Steve. So we're rolling along. We probably we're probably three four hours from Cincinnati. We got to get some sleep. It must be three four in the morning. We pull over. Now, this is the Midwest, and it's the high, uh, the high point of summer. It's 100 degrees. We wake up the next morning. I wake up. 6 o'clock in the morning, the sun is beating down on my head, and I'm dripped in sweat. Doug's in the back. He's, he's dripped in sweat, too. On the trunk, Steve's rolling around in the trunk. That's where he decided to sleep, on the trunk of the car. And all of a sudden, Phil and Paul come running in. They slept outside in sleeping bags. They got attacked by ants out there. So this was turning into a crazy little adventure. It was like naked and afraid, naked and afraid uh, Grateful Dead style. Now, now the, the tough thing about uh, the show coming up, we make it to Cincinnati. There's not a cloud in the Midwest. It's the, the brightest sun. It's 100 degrees. There's no shade. There, there's no trees in Cincinnati. Or <laughs> very, very, if there are a couple and there's very little shade. So... I got sunburned, dehydrated, but man, I was psyched when I got into that show. But it was definitely a little bit of a survival adventure up to that point. When showtime finally arrived, I made it inside the pavilion. No more sun, man. I was free from the sun, and Jerry was there, and the Grateful Dead, Alabama Getaway. Pretty psyched for that song. You know, after not playing it for a year, they did it in a... They brought it back in Providence, and now it is a very exciting song to see, even though it had become a, a regular staple uh, a few years prior. Into Greatest Story Ever Told, Copy and Paste, followed up with uh, Love Each Other. Jerry had a very nice solo with um, two-round solo and Love Each Other. Minglewood Blues followed. Uh, one little gripe with the Minglewood Blues, and most of the ones from this era in in 81 and 82, most of the versions were just ripping. The last jam would go through a, uh, a motif, a progression that was the same almost every time. It would be two rounds of Brent, two rounds of Bob Weir's slide guitar, two rounds of Jerry. A good version would have three rounds of Jerry. The spectacular version would have four rounds of Jerry. And it would always end with that Jerry exclamation point. But what started happening probably around 1983 during most New Minglewood blues is that Weir would come in after two rounds of Jerry with some slide guitar. Jerry would either try to play through it or he'd revert to chord playing. Brent would come in with some chords and all of a sudden it's like this collage, merged kind of jam. And effectively what it did is it let the air out of the balloon. It just wasn't that exciting. So you're taking the high point of the song and you're kind of just letting the air out of the balloon. 
I had that I had that feeling again as I was listening to it. I was like, geez, why didn't they just let Jerry go off, call it a day? You know, but um, hey, uh, no, no one was to blame for it. That's just the way the jam just kind of evolved. So Minglewood Blues, pretty good version. Uh, the, the solid Tennessee Jed, new tune, Brother Esau. I like Brother Esau, but it's uh, not in the top my, my top list of desired songs. Excellent Loser, and then Let It Grow dominated the first set. It, w- it was a great version, but what's new about that? Every version of Let It Grow, from the first one on September 7th, 1973 in the Nelson Coliseum, through the end of 86, on, up, up until when Jerry had his coma, there's not... There's not a a lackluster version there. Let It Grow is probably the most consistent improvisational song the Grateful Dead did. Um, I I can't think of a song that even comes close because every version, they brought the goods. Uh, So they thrilled uh, Cincinnati with Let It Grow to end that first set. And then the second set, song-wise, was like a set of dreams. They open up with Ico Ico, just a... Good party feeling enveloped the whole Riverbend Theater uh, Music Center that night. Ico Ico, there's a paddle wheel boat going in the background down the river. It was incredible. It was like a dream. You know, it was like you, you could not have done, done a better visual. And then to magnify the the scenic uh, pleasure of this, the, the, obviously the music's great. They're playing Ico. They go into a killer Samson. But to magnify the whole scenery, the 20th anniversary banner drops down. And this happened at every show this tour and throughout the rest of the year. And they would drop this 20th anniversary banner at the almost exact precise time. It was dry, The timing of it was great. It was usually early in the second set. And it was uh, the, the artwork was done by Rick Griffin. Um, the banner had a Minuteman, an American flag, and it said Grateful Dead 20 years so far. And it was always very dramatic, and the crowd went nuts when the banner came down. It was a very cool, uh, cool touch to these uh, 20th anniversary shows. After Samson, uh, He's Gone, the nice version of He's Gone, into Smokestack Lightning, which was pretty rare back then. It had just been broken out for the first time uh, since Pigpen last sang it. And it was broken out uh, October 9th, 1984. Bob Weir did the first v- version of it without Pigpen. So it was still, it was a pretty new and exciting, well, it was exciting anytime you saw Smokestack Lightning, pretty cool tune. And then uh, Cryptical Envelopments. And you know, at this point, you know, you're like, it's, it's like you're in the 60s, man. You just, anything could happen. Uh, this is the great, what the Grateful Dead are all about, man. We caught our Cryptical Envelopment, the second one of the tour. Um, I think they, they did four on this tour uh, total. Uh, so Cryptical Envelopments, but a little bit of a surprise. It went straight into drums, the drum space. And then you think they're going to come out the other side of it with the other one. But Jerry noodles his way into Comes a Time. And man, that, that was beautiful. And uh, now, now that I think about it, I, just at this point, I just realized this This is the first uh, first time I ever saw Comes a Time. So I saw it a few times after this. Uh, so it was, a, it was a quite a thrill to catch Comes a Time. Great version. Uh, and then the other one came. Not as great as the one from Berkeley, but still, uh, nothing to complain about on this night, man. It was great stuff. And Jerry went back into the cryptical envelopments, and then a war frat. And Weir came, you know, after all, a lot of Jerry tunes there, Weir came back with his uh, 
with a little uh, combination around and around good loving and the U.S. Blues Encore. There was a lot, a lot there. Big, powerful second set. As far as uh, set list sequencing and uh, the whole theme behind it, A+. Uh, to be honest, the the jam, some of the jams weren't like, you know, they, they, they didn't really extend too many jams in that second set. It was more of a presentation of songs, and it was great at what it was. Um, it would turn out, um, as I listened to these tapes years later and just listening to it for this broadcast, that actually the show the next night in Blossom Music Center, the performance, the actual playing of the band was hotter. But the better and more desirable set list and songs were this night in Cincinnati, a truly uh, memorable night for anyone who was there. Um, you know, the, the, just the, the, the boats going down the river behind the stage, uh, incredible stuff, something uh, a visual and a, an audio performance that you'll never forget. Of course, there was uh, 24 hours between shows, and this meant there would be a little more road adventure on the way to Cuyahoga Falls. So um, after the show, the, Doug did a great, he's tape, he taped the show, we're enjoying the tapes after the show. Doug was doing MVP work here. Not only did he have the master tapes, but he had a place for us to go after the show because we didn't have any hotel reservation. And we haven't showered in a couple days now and we're dehydrated, exhausted. So he, he got us an invitation to somebody who had a hotel room in, in Cincinnati and, you know, and... We, we weren't, nothing was guaranteed. Doug was just thrilled him with the idea of his master tapes, or at least one of the guys who was staying in the hotel. So we're heading over to, the, to, to this hotel, and I'm driving, and I'm just gushing about the Let It Grow. I'm expressing with my hands to the guys in the back seat how hot Jerry's guitar work was, and I may have missed a, a road sign. There, there may have been a road sign saying five miles per hour, but I missed it. <laughs> All of a sudden, I turn around, and I had to make the craziest. I had to just yank the wheel with all my might, and I stomped on the brakes, but I don't think I had enough time to slow the car down. The car was airborne. We were off the road. Nobody nobody could say anything for 30 seconds after I safely (laughs) did the maneuver, man, and we came close to death. It was a crazy experience, so... Um, I deserve like a, a Neil Cassidy merit badge or something, uh, but it was, I mean, for 30 seconds after I made that crazy turn, um, at 50 miles an hour when it should have been at five miles an hour, nobody could even speak. Their hearts were in their throats, but, um, Hey, that's these types of things almost happen regularly on tour with the Grateful Dead. It was just thrill, thrill seeking stuff and nothing like that would even, would even, affect you slow you down it would almost excite you to, to see more shows so hey we made it to this this hotel room we go in there <laughs> there's one guy who's maybe interested in doug's masters they have like four people they had no idea that five of us were coming into the hotel room and i don't know what was negotiated whether we were somehow somehow we negotiated to stay there but i get in there doug's playing the masters uh by the second song I'm uh, fast asleep. Uh, there was air condition. I had a piece of rug. Uh, it was four walls. I was in heaven. I, I just went right to sleep and woke up the next morning. Somehow we uh, managed to uh, to find a shelter in that hotel room with those guys who I don't think were too crazy to have us there, but so be it. Um, so then we get up uh, next day, head to Cleveland, feeling a lot better. 
after getting a good shower and, and, a, and a little rest made a big difference. The Cleveland show was, was something else. It was a really great performance, even if I didn't realize how great it was at the time. The start the start of the show was excellent, man. It's just they, they open up with Day Tripper. For one thing, we're looking at the 20th anniversary, which is 1965. If I'm correct, and I think I'm correct, in 1965, Day Tripper uh, was a hit for the Beatles, may have even been a number one hit. So there's a tie there with the 20th anniversary tour. But man, the, the Grateful Dead did such an amazing version of Day Tripper. It's hard, you know, the Beatles songs are tough to tackle vocally for any band or any artist, no matter who you are. But they really did it. Weir was incredible in it. They did an amazing job with that Day Tripper. And then it bounced into the bluesy beat of West L.A. Fadeaway. There's something about West L.A. Fadeaway coming after a great version, whether it's a hot jack straw. There's just something about that bouncing, hypnotic blues of West L.A. Fadeaway just works after a great song. And uh, they move forward, C.C. Ryder, and... I complained about the mingle with the night before, but no complaints here. This blues tune, Jerry did his two rounds and they were smoking. And then Weir went right back into the lyrics. Perfect. The way it should be. Excellent. CC Ryder. Uh, Dire Wolf. Very cool tune to see. You don't see it all that much. Uh, middle of the set. Got a little sluggish. Beat it down the line. Road Jimmy. Uncle. River was okay. But they really rallied at the end of that first set. Very hot. Big Railroad Blues. And... I lost my mind when they went into Jack Straw after the Big Railroad Blues. Uh, Jack Straw is, was always one of my favorite tunes. As I'm sure most of you listening to this, you love Jack Straw. Great tune. We all want to see it. But usually when you don't see it as the opener, you're pretty much done with it. You're thinking it's not going to happen. So it's always a great surprise when they put the straw anywhere but opening the show. So it was, it was, a, it was such a thrill to see it in that slot. Now, the only problem with the straw in Cuyahoga on that night, uh, June 25th, was that Weir messed up the, his first verse. And then when they came around to do the verses again, Garcia blew his verse entirely, which led to Weir almost blowing his verse again. So three of the four verses they sang were screwed up. So this wasn't going to go on any uh, Grateful Dead greatest of compilations, but the jam lived up to the... Uh, to what you would expect from a Jack Straw, very hot jam. And the set ended with Might As Well. So uh, second set opens up with Give Me Some Lovin'. I, I look at that as more as like a, it was always a fun song, but it's like a little ditty. It's not like a, a heavy uh, a heavy tune or anything. Great, good little cover tune, Phil Lesh singing. And Phil, Phil was doing a lot more, uh, getting more involved in singing here and there, which was cool. Give Me Some Lovin' rolls right into China Cat. And... I missed I missed the boat on this one. I had, I may not have listened to the China Cat since that night, or if I did, I once or twice, and it kind of blew by me. This China Cat's amazing. It, it really, you know, now it's a go-to China Cat for me. Uh, the the band is just smoking, ample length. Um, Gar- Garcia's cooking, and him and what him and Brent had going on. By the way, Brent's playing is great at both of these shows. I really don't think he ever. He, he does definitely doesn't get his due as, as an, for what he did for the Grateful Dead. He was a great player. Just to listen to the way he and Jerry inter- interacted, they're both going at amazing speeds, playing off each other. This China Cat wrapped around Phil's thumping bass. Weir's got all that cool, odd chord phasing going. It's a really pr- pretty amazing China Cat, a standout from the era. 
Uh, obviously, it's going to be followed by Hot I Know You Rider. And then they go into playing in the band. And they're on a roll right now. So Garcia's cooking. They just take right off with that playing in the band. And then it kind of morphs into a, a jazzy kind of jam. Uh, Brent's kind of taking over. I think Jerry leaves the stage. And it kind of whittles into drums. Now, as I'm listening on tape in the present, um, it's cool. I'm, 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 I'm digging it. I'm like, this is incredible. I'm going to have to revisit the show more often. But now I realize why I didn't come away with come away from the show thinking how great the whole show was overall. Because if they just do a cat rider playing and then go into drums, you know, the t- type of person I was when I was seeing the Dead Live, I wanted more. I wanted to see an Uncle John's. I wanted to see a Terrapin. Uh, you know, so usually like uh, playing drums at that point, it's it's a little short. You know, uh, so it, w- at the time, it was, you know, wasn't probably too happy with that fact. But hey, when I'm listening on take, I'm, I'm like, this is beautiful, man. It's uh, it's an excellent tape. The the performance, uh, you know, I came away from the Riverbend show thinking that was the better show. But actually, they definitely played better on this night in Cleveland, just the performance of the songs. So after drums, we get the uh, a very good version of The Wheel. Uh, they return to playing in the band. I like the uh, the return here very much. There's they kind of mess up a little bit, but they play off it and you know they work with it. You know sometimes when when um you, they make a mistake, they they turn it into more than it would have been in the first place if they hadn't made that mistake. And I think that's what happened here with this playing in the band return. Uh, excellent version of China Doll, uh, really enjoyable. And then it went into Sugar Mag, and the show went into another realm. Man, the Sugar Mag is the best one from the 1980s, I believe. If we're, lo- if we're looking at all-time great Sugar Mags, you got to go to the, between the years 1972 and 73. I think that's where you'll find the bulk of them. Hoffines Pavilion, 72, November 17, 72. I'll just throw a couple out at you. UCLA, uh, 11-73. That one's insane. Uh, Nassau Coliseum, 9-7-73. We got one from Cleveland, December 6, 73, but there's so many. You could almost pull one out at random from 72, 73, 74. That, that was the golden years for Sugar Mag. But this Sugar Mag is a standout, unbelievable. And I'll, I'll never forget, I'm in the taping section, and um, which I usually didn't do. I didn't want to be around, uh, accidentally bump into something or accidentally howl or something like that. I enjoyed kind of roaming around, getting a little closer to the band, getting the right spot the right view of Garcia, enjoying myself, getting beers, you know, the freedom of, when you're, when you're in that taping uh, section, you're committed to being there. So I, I give those ta- tapers, my friend Doug, my friend Larry, I give these guys the, the, the greatest uh, uh, thanks, man, for hanging in there and, and, and making the tapes because it's quite a commitment to be there. You know, you have to really give up of yourself totally, take yourself out of the, the freedom of doing whatever you want during the show which uh, I, I wasn't willing to do, but I was extremely happy to get those tapes, man, and extremely thankful to all the tapers out there. But uh, the thing about being in the taping section, me and Doug, right away, Garcia's nailed, the band just is turning it up like a, it's so obvious this is going to be an all-time great Sugar Magnolia. They came out of the gate like a like a thoroughbred ready to win the Kentucky Derby, the, the best horse. So it was just like, it was so obvious. It was, it was almost terrifying how they came out. So you, so as it's going, it's getting hotter and hotter and, you know, and we're just jumping in the taping section, but we can't make any noise. So Doug reaches over, grabs his duct tape, 
rips a piece off and puts it on her mouth just to make sure I don't hoot or howl. And it was just it's something uh, like I'll never forget from that moment. Or when, every time I hear that sugar mag, I think of the duct tape uh, going over my mouth. Uh, so, yeah, it was a, a crazy little tour, man. I was uh, busted, broke, dehydrated, um, you know, sunburn. And at the end, I got duct taped by my friend in the taping section. But uh, hey, it turned it turned out to be quite the Sugar Magnolia, amazing, and even the Touch of Grey encore, it, just the, the energy at that point of the show, it was just it ripped through the encore of Touch of Grey. It's a very cool Touch of Grey, so I, you know, I think it stands out a little bit. You know, it's hard for Touch of Grey to stand out because they're uh, the, the length are usually the same, but there was something about this. There was just a Garcia's guitar solo. There was just like a ripping energy throughout the show. Uh, great stuff there in Cleveland, or, or it was close to Cleveland, Cuyahoga Falls. And you know, we had a great time. We were very psyched for the ride home. And when it came to when it came to driving, I was very much like an alpha male type. I liked to drive. It was like a, a source of pride being able to drive all the way there, all the way back. I would give up the wheel for very short periods. So we we're driving uh, driving out of Cuyahoga Falls, and we stopped off for gas. And I'm going over like a. I'm trying to cross into a lane, and I just drove over a concrete <laughs> divider. And the guys in the car were like, this is it, man. You're done. We're, we're Doug, take over the wheel or whoever took over. Phil, I think maybe Phil took over the wheel. And, um, you know, I was like, okay, I give up, man. I just, you know, I, I, I had hit that point, total tour leg. I couldn't drive anymore. I couldn't function. So the, I think I slept the entire ride home. The uh, Doug, Phil, they listened to the master tapes and got us back to New York City so we could go out to the rest of the tour. And I'll just briefly... Uh, let, let you know, I'm sure most of you were there, know, know about the rest of the tour, uh, but just to put it, put it all in perspective, the next show was uh, Saratoga, so we get back to New York, and then we had a hustle up to Saratoga for a show on the 27th, uh, they drew, the Grateful Dead drew 40,000, that, that show in Saratoga, they packed 40,000 in that place, it was crazy, so uh, Saratoga had 40,000, Another really interesting set list that they put together. There was a bunch of Jerry songs in a row. It was like Crazy Fingers, Supplication. There was a high time in there. Uh, but the standout performance, believe it or not, was Hell in a Bucket. I guarantee, listen to this Hell, Hell in the Bucket. It's the best Hell in the Bucket they ever did. Uh, the Garcia just goes off the, off the charts on that one. Uh, and then the, the next night, down to Hershey Park, Pennsylvania. A uh, little rainy that night. Another little Garcia segment. These these were very unusual for the for any time. Uh, he played. There were three Jerry songs in a row. Bird song comes a time. I forget. I forget the other one. I'm just going off the top of my head here. But uh, another great show. Uh, that that uh, Hershey show. They played a Morning Dew that night. Phil broke out. It just like Tom Tom Thumbs Blues. And then it's off to a Day's Rest. Then off to Merryweather for two shows. The thirtieth, great second set, and perhaps it's best known for the. Immortal Shakedown Street, the 63085 Shakedown Street. Um, it, I, I, it's top three. I don't know if I call it the best, but it's definitely, if you're going to put together a best ever Grateful Dead compilation, this is probably one you should put on there because it's perfect. Uh, the improvisation, everything about it, man. And, there, and it just kicks the second set into high gear. Very good show. The next night was great too. Searing Let It Grow, 7185, 10, the first set. My friend Larry loves that one. He kind of turned me on to that. And uh, Scarlet Fire, second set, a lot of good stuff that night. And possibly the best show of the tour was the last show, uh, July 2nd, 85 in Pittsburgh. Uh, 
Um, I didn't make it to that show. Um, it, it was a bit of a journey going from Merriweather to Pittsburgh. My friend Phil made it, but the, the tapes uh, conferred, confirmed that that was uh, one of the best shows of the tour for sure. Without, without question, great set list, great performance. You know, so the 20th, uh, that 20th anniversary Grateful Dead tour, uh, the boys delivered for us big time. Hey, so that wraps up our fourth episode of the Deadology podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Thanks for listening. My website is www.tangleupintunes.com. And since I just mentioned Tangled Up in Tunes, um, that was my first first book I wrote, a memoir of traveling with the, the dead, and then later in life with Bob Dylan's never-ending tour. And I looked at that book to uh, get some of these memories to remind myself of what happened on, on this tour, which I wrote about in the book. Um, and I think it's important, deadheads, where this is part of uh, American cultural history, uh, we get our stories out there. We write them down because you forget stuff over years. I, if I didn't have the book to look at, I never would remember some of the stuff I just told you. So, um, and I wrote the book uh, about 12 years ago. So as years go on, you definitely forget stuff. So everybody, you know, get your stuff out there online. Man, it's American cultural history. And um, once again, thanks for listening. I'll be back next. I'm going to make this definitely a weekly thing. I'll be back with some good stuff next week. I think I'm eyeing the September 2nd uh, Deadology, uh, this day in Grateful Dead history, September 2nd, some good stuff. The Giant Stadium show from September 2nd. You got the uh, Rochester show uh, from 1980, September 2nd, and also Boise, Idaho, the 83 show from that day. So I look forward to that one very much. And once again, thanks for listening. Peace out.